Corinthians 10. We are going to begin our reading at verse 14 and then read through verse 1 of chapter 11. First Corinthians 10, beginning at verse 14. What we hear now is God's word. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything? Or that an idol is anything? No. I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? All things are lawful but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of, you, if, if, if one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner, and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Here we end the reading of God's holy word. Well, we are coming uh, in uh, the end of chapter 10 to the conclusion of this section of uh, Paul's letter to Corinth. I know when we uh, go through this, uh, you know, chapter by chapter, or half chapter by half chapter, it's kind of easy to lose the flow of what's going on, but this section began back in chapter 8, where Paul's main theme is answering questions regarding food sacrifice to idols. And in connection with that, the whole issue of idolatry in the church. He began by reminding them 
that the standard of our ethics is not what we know. The standard of our ethics is love. Love, first of all, for God, and love for our brothers and sisters. He would remind them of his own role as an apostle, the apostolic freedom which he had, but which he freely gave up for the sake of others, that the gospel might not be hindered. We saw last time he took them to the history of God's people, and particularly the history of the people of Israel in verse 8 of chapter 10. Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. And he gives them several examples of how Israel, although they were God's chosen people, would still come under his punishment when they neglected to live and to walk in his ways. They couldn't say, we're the people of God, we can live like we want. No, he says, learn from the past, learn from Israel. And now now he brings his argument in in chapters 8, 9, and 10 to a close. And lest they forgot what his point was, in verse 14 he says, therefore my beloved flee from idolatry. That has been his point. Do not get caught up in serving false gods. Flee from idolatry. Serve God alone. He's dealt with with the topic of meat that's been sacrificed to idols. Tonight, he looks at the topic of meat uh, that has been sacrificed to idols, but is now being offered in the marketplace. He'll deal with that as well. His point is, we are not to get caught up in these pagan practices. Flee idolatry, or to put it positively, be wholly devoted to God alone. That's going to be Paul's point as he brings this part of the argument to a a close. Be totally devoted to God alone. Do all you can to bring glory to him. He says, verse 14, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourself what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ, The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Remember that they were saying, we can go to these pagan festivals, we can take part and eat the food in these pagan festivals, and it won't affect us. It's something from which we are immune. And he says, I'm speaking to you as rational people. Don't you get it? That's not the case. He said, look at that when we come as believers to the Lord's table, that's his reference here to the wine and to the bread. When we come to the Lord's table, it is a participation with God through Christ. We refer to that, that celebration as communion. With whom are we communing at the table? Now, to be sure, we commune among each other, but we commune with God. When we come to the table, it is a participation. The wine is a participation in the blood of Christ. The bread, a participation in the body of Christ. He says, you should know this. You cannot say, I'll go to the pagan table, the pagan temple, and eat of that and not be affected. To go there is to participate with the pagan gods. 
Again, he reminds them of their history, verse 18. Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifice participants at the altar? Make a note to yourself later to look up Deuteronomy chapter 14. In Deuteronomy chapter 14, it gives some instructions of how they were to participate at the altar of the Lord. And it says there in verse 22, you shall tithe all the yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year. And before the Lord your God, in the place that he will choose, to make his name dwell there, you shall eat the tithe of your grain, of your wine, of your oil, and the firstborn of your herd and flock, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. You will go to the place God has chosen, where his name will dwell, and there you will eat and participate with him. Oh, he makes provisions if you're traveling and have to go there and then buy your things. But there, he says, even if you do that, there you shall eat before the Lord your God and rejoice you and your household. The sacrifices were a participation in God to eat the meal before him. He says, learn from history. Learn from your forefathers Consider the people of Israel are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar. He goes on, verse 19. What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything? Or that an idol is anything? No. I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. And here, he, he more forcefully drives his point home. Earlier, he had said, we know that the gods of the pagans, the gods of the nations, are nothing. They are not real gods. There is only one God, the one true God. But now, now he takes that a step farther. He says, we're not trying to imply that... that uh, that the pagans offer the sacrifice to no one, they offer the sacrifice to demons and not to God. There is no neutrality, but this is an anti-God sacrifice. He says in verse 21, I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of the demons. You can't have it both ways. You can't serve God and serve the demons. You can't participate with God and participate with the demons. He's very forceful and straightforward with them. Now I... I doubt that in this past week, many of us were tempted to go to a place where sacrifices were being offered to pagan gods. That is not the particular temptation that we face today. Nevertheless, this text still speaks to us and still warns us. Paul's point is that you are to be wholeheartedly devoted to God. And, and it seems like so often we want to find ways to compromise that wholehearted devotion and still participate in the things of the world, in the things which are fallen, which are to demons, he says. 
not that they are neutral. Not that we serve God or we serve nothing. He says you serve God or you serve the demons. And you cannot do both. We sometimes want to keep one foot in the church and one foot in the world. Trying to to hold on to a bit of both. And Paul calls us to a wholehearted devotion to God. Flee idolatry. Flee anything that would take you away from the one true God. So often we want to find a way to, uh, to stay on the fence. Not going too churchy, not going too far worldly. We just kind of want to sit, sit right in the middle and stay on the fence. I was at a conference a number of years ago, and one of the speakers there uh, used that metaphor of sitting on the fence rather than being wholeheartedly devoted to God. And, and he said something which I'll never forget. He says, if you're, if you're still trying to sit on the fence, don't forget, he said, the devil owns the fence. We are either wholeheartedly devoted to God, or we are participating, as Paul would say, in the sacrifice of demons. No neutrality. We cannot participate with God and the demons. God calls us to a singular devotion, a devotion to him. He warns in verse 22, shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? He'd reminded them earlier of God's anger against the people. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he is? No, he says there must be one singular desire in our lives, and that is serving the Lord alone. My beloved, flee from idolatry. Do not try to participate both in the things of the Lord and in the things of demons. You cannot do both. You'll be devoted to the ways of God, or you'll be caught up in the things of the devil. He calls them to no compromise, but seeking to bring glory to God. And that's where he, he brings us to at the end of this argument. He, he ends uh, verse 22 on kind of a negative note. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? And now he's going to bring them to the positive side of that instruction. If we are fleeing from idolatry, then we are devoted to bringing glory to God. He says, verse 23, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. I hope that sounds a little bit familiar. We talked about that earlier in this book, how they are quoting Paul's words, and he's saying, yes, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful to us. Our thing, all things are lawful, but not all things build up. Not all things are edifying. Not all things bring glory to God. He says, let no one seek his own good but the good of his neighbor. If we are concerned in devoting ourselves to God, it will affect our relationships with those around us. It will affect our relationships in our homes. It will affect our relationships in our neighborhood. It will affect our relationships in our work. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Now he does say, verse 25, eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. They would eat, the meat would be sold in the meat market after being offered because not all that was burned up. Some sold in the meat market. He says that's a matter of indifference. We do have, not going to the pagan festivals, 
But that meat is nothing, he says. For we know the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Everything belongs to God. And so we're not going to go and participate in these pagan feasts. But the food is fine food, is good food. He says, verse 27, If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you're disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. If going to have dinner with an unbelieving friend will serve the cause of the gospel and in so doing will bring glory to God, then go do it, Paul says. Don't ask any questions. Don't be concerned about the conscience of where this food came from. You have the freedom in non-essentials to go ahead and go and eat if it will serve the cause of Jesus Christ. But he says, verse 27, But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? He says, you can go. You're free. Go ahead. Enjoy the meal and eat. But if someone whose conscience might be emboldened to eat against what they believe is right, then he says, then don't go. Then don't eat. Again, the concern is for others. That, that you would willingly give up your freedom. He says, what difference does it make to me? My freedom isn't determined by someone else's conscience. But I would willingly give up my freedom for the sake of a brother or sister in the Lord. Again, that was Paul's point back in chapter 9 that I'm an apostle and I am free and I can do all these things, but I gladly give that up for the sake of serving the Lord and for the sake of serving those around me. He says, verse 31, So, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. He began this section by saying our ethics are based on love for God and love for others. So now whatever we do, whether we're eating, whether we're drinking, in our work, in our play, whatever it is, do all to bring God glory. Do what is best for Him, even if it means giving up my freedoms, giving up my rights. I would gladly do that, Paul says, to build others up. He says in verse 32, Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. That was Paul's desire. To in no way hinder the gospel of Jesus Christ to not have his actions, his choices, his freedoms be that which would keep someone from hearing the gospel and embracing that glorious truth. He says, don't let our actions, our words, contradict the gospel. Rather, through our actions and words, the gospel should be attractive 
attractive in our entire life. Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Be willing to give up the freedom you have for the sake of others. And when I think about that, I like my freedoms. I like the freedoms that I have. I'm not bound by conscience. Isn't, isn't God being a bit unreasonable here? Because he says, eat whatever you want, the food that's in the marketplace, it all belongs to God anyway, use it with thankfulness. Why should I give up my rights? Why should I give up my freedom for the sake of someone else? And when I begin to think that perhaps God is being a bit unfair with me, that he's asking too much, then I remember, I remember his son Jesus Christ and what he gave up for us. He who was co-existent, co-eternal with God, he who enjoyed all the blessings of intertrinitarian fellowship for all time, would be willing to give that up. He would leave the glories of that, of that heavenly temple, and he would come down to earth, to a dark earth, to a dirty earth, earth. He would, he would become fleshly. He would become limited in some ways. He gave up everything. He would give up even his very life that he might secure the salvation of each and every one of his own. If I start to think perhaps God's being a bit unreasonable, I remember what he did for me. Paul says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Christ, who would not consider that equality with God something to be held on to, but who emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being servile even unto death, a cruel death on a cross, that he might bring many, many to know, to know the truth of who God is and bring glory in doing so. He does that again tonight. He calls out, Jesus Christ calls out, if you do not know him, if you have not embraced him yet, he calls you this evening. Embrace this truth. Embrace the glory of the gospel. Embrace the one who came down from heaven to pay for the sins of his people and know the assurance, the assurance of salvation. He calls once again tonight. Not that we say, I'm, I'm going to do it my way. My rights, my works, my actions. No, it is Jesus Christ and all that he has done for us, a sinful people. Give, give yourself wholeheartedly over to bringing glory to that wonderful God. Paul says, flee idolatry. Don't try to get close to it. Don't try to keep one foot in the church and one foot in the world. This is a participation with demons, he says. No, rather, do all to the glory of God, even if it means giving up your freedoms, that others may come to know, that others might brought, be brought in to this glorious fellowship with our God, who loved us so much that he would give up his life for us. Let us join together in prayer. Lord our God, how do we begin to thank you for the glory of what you've done? You have sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to give us life. We were dead in transgressions and sins, and you enlivened us. And you have called us to live in a way that 
is singularly, wholeheartedly focused on bringing you glory. Where we have failed, O God, we ask you would forgive us for the sake of Jesus Christ and that you would, by the power of your Spirit, strengthen us to know that you are God and God alone and we have the privilege, we have the great joy of even giving up our rights and our freedoms that we might build others up and in doing so bring glory to you. Hear our prayer, O God, for Jesus' sake. Amen.